0: The Painted Arrow Podcast, committed to taking you beyond the pursuit. Today is December 28th, 2021, post-Christmas, almost to the new year, um, what are we going to talk about today, Devin?
1: Post-season scouting.
0: Yeah, so we just did a little bit of post-season scouting. And um, I think lots of people probably, when you say or hear post-season scouting, I would probably say that most people... Uh, what, what, what time frame are you thinking that most people would 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 confirm like, yes, we're doing post-season scouting. Like what days, dates, times of the year?
1: I don't know. Probably like for me anyway, it's always been like late December. I mean, te- technically season's still in. You can go shoot a doe right now. Um, certain, certain places or certain uh, states, I think you can still shoot a buck as long as you're, you know, hunting with archery equipment or this, that, or the other thing, but. The bulk of the, the bulk of the season's over, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's I guess the the main advantage to postseason scouting at this point would be all out of the sign is still going to be pretty fresh and noticeable, and you're going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of pick up on you know what they were doing during most of the season, which is you know going to be v- helpful for the the following year. So,
0: what do you say to somebody who is it's December twenty eighth and they're like, oh, well, I don't want to go out there because my target buck that I didn't shoot this year that I still know is still alive because I got him on a trail cam photo. I think he's living on the property. Like, what do, what do you say to somebody who says that?
1: Um, well, I guess it depends on, I mean, if you feel like you've got that buck figured out and you just, you know, the opportunities didn't, didn't align and you couldn't get him killed. And that's one thing Then maybe don't go do postseason scouting, but, uh, I would say generally, if you're, if you're even considering doing, you know, intense scouting after the season, chances are you don't think you have something figured out and you're trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, if, I guess if you know enough about a deer to know he's living right there and you're worried about blowing him out of there, and you, and like I said, and you think, you think you have that deer figured out, then maybe they just don't go do it. Um, but you know, it, I think it's also important to understand the behavior after the rut is over. Uh, and late season is here. Changes drastically. So if if you're, if you're worried about, um, I don't know, dictating that deer's behavior next next rut with what you do now, I would say that's going to have you know a lesser impact on that than if you were to just go traipse him through a bedding area where you think he's living in November. Um, at this point, you know a lot of the ags down. They're. Um, they're not really rutting anymore. And they're, they're um, in certain cases, bachelored back up or the does are, you know, back in groups. And um, they're really focused on food and trying to, you know, find warm cover for the winter and consistent food. So, um, but to that guy, I guess, you know, if if you think you've got that deer figured out, then chances are you're probably not even thinking about going and doing some scouting. Or if you are, um, I guess, just, you know, think about, you know, whether or not you want to, uh, to bump that deer. I mean, I think it's just a, kind of a case by case basis.
0: So what do you consider Devin to be, um, like when, when we say postseason scouting, like what exactly are you doing? Like, for example, we, we got 70 acres out here, just shy of that. And, <laughs> like wh- when we say scouting like what are we exactly doing and what are we looking for specifically and i know that's a the second part of that question is a loaded loaded but what are some of the key key things that we're looking for right after the season how are we doing it and um you kind of already mentioned it but like the whole reason for doing this so close to the season flirting with like we're still in the late season is because you can still see that fresh sign. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like so it's so blatantly obvious that it hurts. Yep,
1: and sometimes you can't
0: miss it. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's what you need. Um, that's what I've needed in the past, and that's a big big contributor to why I had such a good look at this this Holy Spirit buck that we talk so much about, like it screamed at us the the amount of rubs and scrapes and just mature buck sign look, walking it last, last December 23rd. So, mm-hmm. so back to my question, Devin, what exactly are we doing and what exactly are we looking for in a postseason scout like we did today?
1: Well, um, I mean, you're right. That is a loaded question. And I don't want to you know, speak too much to that specific property because you know, it's yours. And I think you probably have or had beliefs on what you thought you were going to see. I mean, again, the other thing that we should, should mention is this is your first year hunting the property. So it's not like you have years and years of experience and, and monitoring and watching deer behavior on this property. So the reason we're so interested in scouting to begin with is this is a relatively new property or a very new property for you. Yeah. And you've got now got one season under your belt. So really, you know, going into this year, all you were really operating off of is one, one or two times that we walked the property in depth last year, and then after feeling like we found enough sign to start to piece together a picture on where we're, where they're betting, where they're moving to, and those things, um, the bulk of the summer and, and the season, for that matter, you just stayed, the, stayed right the hell out of there, which I think, you know, um, oh, who was it that said that sometimes the best thing you can do for your property is just to stay out of it? Don Higgins. Um, Don mm-hmm. Higgins, yeah. When you're talking about improving a property, he says, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do to improve a property is just don't go in it.
0: It's the most um, affordable and efficient with your time. That's what he always says.
1: So I think you know that's that's something you took seriously this year because you didn't have a ton of intel on on what the deer were going to be doing or what you know how how to really be predictable with it. So you you took the approach of I'm just going to stay ultra conservative. I'm going to stay out of there and I'm only going to hunt on good winds. But with that, you did start to form some.
0: Can I mention sort of something old. real quick?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Just off you saying that, like, in the past, you and I have mm-hmm. talked, like, we, we we would both agree in the past, I don't know, probably three years ago from now, we would both agree that we overhunted, even maybe two years ago. We yep. just completely overhunted because we just love hunting so much, and it's like, it's November, it's October 28th, and it's like, well, the wind's bad, but it's November 28th, or, or I'm sorry, no, October 28th, and, like, what are you going to do? Are you Are going to go hunting?
1: Yeah.
0: I just want to mention that, like knowing that the holy spirit buck like getting photos of him and like knowing that he was living on this property it was so easy not to go out on days that i just wanted to go for a walk in the woods or something or just you know do whatever go squirrel hunting or just it was so easy to make that decision for me yeah like so easy
1: that's you know that probably had a lot to do with killing him i mean like your your restraint. Probably had a lot to do with your ability to kill that deer and I guess you know when you talk about what are we looking for I, I look at it as you went into the season with a a minor set of beliefs or a belief set of things that you thought to be true and then through the season you you know probably proved and disproved some of those things and I think for the things that you didn't know or weren't able to really, you know, see that much. That seasons, that postseason scouting just gives you a more intimate look into what were the deer doing within a month of right now, like a month ago. What were they doing a month ago? Um, you know, a lot of us deer hunters, we live for you know, that we romanticize it and talk about it and, you know, one or two weeks in November is is when is when you want to be out there. And um You kind of touched on it is this time of year is when the sign is going to be the absolute freshest and most indicative of what was just happening what we're over the deer just doing where are the rubs where are the scrapes where are the convergence of trails um i guess another really important thing is doing the scouting and then going back and looking at historical trail cam data and finding out you know okay this this buck hit this camera on this day and you hit this camera on the same day when he was on the other side of the farm, that starts to tell you, like, you look at the time in between those two occurrences and it's kind of start to piece together travel patterns. And I mean, we are just taking this to another level. Um, and I think that probably is why we are over hunted so much. Um, some of it was probably, we didn't know any better, but also, you know, we were both raised um, with pretty intense work ethics. And, you know, with that, you know, our whole life has been, Oh, we'll just outwork the next guy. And in a lot of ways, hunting isn't like that. I mean, you can outwork it being the next guy in the off season with, with your preparation on food plots and property and that kind of thing. But just outworking that guy with time in the stand sometimes can hurt you. Uh, Sometimes the best thing you can do, like you said, is to not go hunt today because all you're really going to do is hurt yourself for tomorrow's hunt. Right. Um, So I I think we just, we've both had a healthy dose of, you know, I guess a wake up call in that regard to, be a little bit more calculated in our approach and to know that, like, at least for me, I I, I guess you could call it like fear of missing out. When I know I've got buddies that are, you know, in the field and they're in the tree and at at any point a big buck can walk by and they're going to have their opportunity. I almost, I guess I almost feel guilty as a sportsman for wanting success if I'm not in the tree. But I have to, like, you know, I've had to tell myself sometimes, you know, today's the best thing I can do as a hunter is to not go hunt. And it's just sound, it feels counterproductive, at least
0: for me. 100%. 100%. You so, you I mean, a lot of what you're saying too, if, I mean, we're, we're talking specifically like we, what we did today, we walked private land, mm-hmm. but this could, like, this is 100% relatable for public land hunters.
1: It um, may be more advantageous for, for, for public land. Right. I mean, exactly. Um, Cause you, cause you've got people you're competing against. So doing postseason scouting on property where there's other guys, you know, uh, hunting the same property, you know, you, those are the types of things when we talk about outworking the next guy, you know, those are things that do matter. Like just sitting more than the next guy. If the, if the spot is wrong and the wind's wrong, that's not going to help you, but going and doing the postseason scouting and doing those things that the next guy isn't doing, those are the things that are going to give you more opportunities in the fall.
0: Onyx is the number one GPS hunting app on the market. If you don't have Onyx, I would highly consider trying a free trial where you can get access to all 50 states and all of the mapping features and tools. Onyx allows you to send waypoints to your buddies, see public and private boundary lines, and see where you stand in live time. It also has a new weather feature that allows you to track weather and wind so you can stay on top of your game, literally. It's a no-brainer. If you go on your computer, not your mobile device, onyxmaps.com and use the promo code PaintedArrow, you will receive 20% off your Elite or Premium subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. There's nothing I like doing more than hunting elk in the western states. One of the main challenges of hunting big game species in western states is actually getting a tag. Furthermore, it's actually understanding each state's drawing systems, which can seem like a chore to figure out for beginners. Go hunt is a company that has figured out how to simplify this obstacle for basic folk like you and me. GoHunt offers a subscription service called the Insider, which gives you access to the most accurate draw odds, species breakdowns, and strategy articles out there. Before I started using GoHunt, I would spend hours filing through kill harvest reports and data sheets looking for a good unit to hunt in, and using the Insider has streamlined this process, making it easier and more efficient than ever before. This has allowed me to find a place to go hunt hence the name visit gohunt.com to find out more and to start a free trial with the insider subscription service Shopex sporting goods in jackson michigan has been in the business of selling outdoor equipment for over 30 years they have over a thousand new and used guns and over 500 new bows for you to choose from This family-owned and operated company goes above and beyond to make sure that you are taken care of when it comes to buying gear. Use the promo code Arrow 5 at the checkout and receive 5% off your entire purchase. Yes, that does include guns and bows, folks. Go down to Shoe today. One of the things we did today... um, there's There's a crick that runs through the middle of the property, and mm-hmm. there's a berm kind of on one side of this of this crick and it creates the other side of the crick where there's no berm it's just this natural travel corridor yep and we always i mean we we beat it to death here on this podcast, but rivers cricks waterways they're natural travel corridors it's a natural buffer safety zone on one side and they're only having to worry about danger on the other so kind of this double whammy of a water you know a water system making its way through the property and this berm allows a safety side and just on the other side of that creek it's just a very heavily traveled area and i had no stands on that crick which sounds I mean I, I'm sorry I, I had one or two but it's pretty long um this whole stretch and I was missing I I feel I was missing some really good opportunity um yeah this wasn't an area that like it wasn't it, you know it's not like I didn't know it was there I had walked it before But just the overall amount of access, like the whole setup on this year was for the buck that, you know, that we took on October 1st, the Holy Spirit buck. Like, I, like I was, it was stressing me out to think how I was going to get to certain areas without, like, if there was going to be a day that I walked in and bumped that deer and saw that deer bound away, it would have crushed me. So I was like playing it ultra conservative, but. Um, so we didn't have any stands on this travel corridor along this Creek and there's only a handful of spots that really make sense anyway. But, um, what, what we kind of decided today, um, if we were going to put a stand there, there needs to be some type of a North and South trail system that it allows me to get there. Cause I mean, it's, it's very, it's the deepest point in the, you know, right. in the front of the property. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a little scary in itself, making, making paths, right. Driving a tractor and, um you know, potentially maintaining the trail, you, you're, it's no longer as pure as it once was, right? There's now a yeah. tractor going down and up and down that trail. And, um, you know, this is one of the luxuries we have as being private landowners to make these changes. But, you know, th- that's one big takeaway that I had was that Devin and I, I mean, Devin more so than I, it's, it's awesome to have a buddy that you really trust come out and walk your property with you or walk with you and hunt with you and do some of the scouting stuff because they, they see things through their eyes that you don't necessarily see because of whatever reason that may be, because you have, you know, biases or, uh, you know, you, you know, you've seen other deer in certain areas. So you just kind of like forget about certain areas, but having Devin out there today, I think it Mm -hmm. clicked for you harder than it clicked for me, which made it click hard for me. But like, we both were like, wow, this is an area that, it's as small as simple as it is like we just it didn't get hunted and it it probably like deer could have been traveling through there and i would never have known never have gotten any Mm -hmm. photos on them um and it's just it just that was Mm -hmm. one thing today for me that was just like wow that's going to be a big adjustment next year yep so
1: and you know the number of big adjustments that like Show themselves as just big red buttons, like hey, you need to do this. Those are going to get lesser and lesser, fewer and fewer, as the years go on of you owning the property. But again, it's still so new. You've only got one year of hunting it under your under your belt, and this is maybe what the the third time that you've ever walked it this in depth. Yeah. Um. Since you've owned it, so again, like it's new enough that I think there. That's why we're still seeing things where it's like, whoa, we didn't even. This was just entirely overlooked.
0: Yeah. You know, there was a time I feel like I would criticize somebody speaking to it, like, when somebody hears, like, oh, third time. This is the third time that you, have like, enjoyed your property. Somebody might be listening in and, like, thinking that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's definitely, it just, I just feel like it depends on who you are. I feel like it depends on what your goals are, like your specific goals in life. And I feel like that depends on like how serious you take hunting, you know? Um, I don't, I don't criticize people who walk their property. You know, I don't criticize really anybody for what they want to do on their own land. Um, I don't criticize people for shooting the deer that they want to shoot, but I don't know. I mean, I just feel like. (laughs) <laughs> i just feel like when you say that it just it made me think like yeah that it really is only the third time that i mean that's the first time ever today that we walked to the back of the property line that's the first time i've been back there yeah. and i think you know on the initial scouting missions that we did you know I, we could get we could we, we could understand how the property laid out and how deer would flow through it without having to walk every single step of the place right I mean right I don't need to step foot in every single square inch of the swamp. I just want to know that there's a swamp there and how it comes out on the other side and how it comes out on each end like so you know when you when you say that like yeah today it's it's pretty darn true like that's the first time we step foot in some, you know, places of the property but um I don't know. I was I was geeked when we when you came out and we were going to do this all because like I, I haven't, I haven't stepped foot down in the buck nest only in certain, certain winds and certain, certain days, you know, so it's, it's really exciting to, uh, some, to do this post-season scouting where you see, um, you know, like you, 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 you kind of bookmark in your, in your mind, some of these places that you'd seen deer in the season. Um, and especially for me being the first time I hunted it, like, seeing deer travel in certain areas. It's like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Or I didn't picture deer doing that. And then you can like go and like verify what you saw during the season and see how that really pertains. Cause the trails are so obvious right now. I mean, the trails are just, they're muddied up. It's, it's that, you know, it's, it's hot during the day. It's cold during the night. So like if a deer is traveling through the, through the area, they're, they're muddying up a trail. So like the trails are just, they're just blatantly obvious. And I mean, it's never, I don't think there's an easier time to see deer movement and how they're using the ground and working the terrain than right now, where there's like, it's wet grounds and any hoof mark that goes in the ground is going to make it muddy. And so it just screams at you. And I don't know, dude. I mean, we were walking today, just, I mean, just seeing deer corridors, like, you get down on your, you know, you you bend down a little bit, and you just kind of all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's a scrape, and oh, and there's a there's a track there, and then there's some there's some scat on the ground, and like all of a sudden you look down, and there's like four trails that bottleneck off of this this funnel, this main trail, and it's just like it's beautiful, it's a beautiful landscape, and how deer are moving the ground, I just so it's like an artwork on the ground, I just love it.
1: Yeah, and if you wait till spring to go do that, um, especially after the green up, like a lot of those trails are just, you can't even see them. right? Because once once the foliage kind of comes in, they, they're going to still be traveling those same trails, but it's grown in in a way and probably dried up in a way where you just, you really can't even tell there's a trail there. But late season, everything's dead, and like you said, it's wet. So these, like they're literally deer highways. And I think more than anything, like, yeah, you can, you can pick up on like rubs and scrapes, which tell you a little bit about, you know, the bedroom of the box and where they're rutting. But for me, more than anything, I like just being able to see travel patterns and know like, okay, whether I can see the trails during the whole year or not, they are definitely crossing back and forth through this chunk in this way. And, you know, if, if in the spring I can't see a trail, that doesn't mean that they're not, That just, you know, it just means that you know, it's grown up a little bit, but it, for me, I really like it to identify, you know, travel patterns.
0: Yeah. And like we, we, we discussed again, I mean, the Holy spirit buck saw him the 23rd of December last year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: seeing a deer yeah. this late in the season. Like, let's say we, like we were out walking today, we saw a deer and where they were bedding and I mean that says that I mean that says a lot. That's a huge huge bit of information that you're gathering. I mean, especially in a state like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, some of these like heavily hunted per square mile states if you're finding good deer while moving through the ground and jumping them out, like you need to take note of that because these deer have made it through a season and these are the locations that they consider to be safe. And, um, you know, they're secluded probably. Uh, They're probably hard to get to. They're probably gnarly. Um, They can probably hear sound coming quite a ways away and it allows them a a escape route. Um, Those escape routes are extremely important um, so I, I guess walking through the woods in December, I'd rather do that than wait a handful of months, wait the winter through, they haven't been hunted. And then you go out in the spring and spook them. It's like, they don't ever get peace in that area. But if you just kind of do it all at once, this is how my mind works. I don't know if it's how your mind works, Devin, but that that's kind of how I, like, if you're going to walk through the woods in, in depth and like really walk an area, yeah, the sign's going to be fresh, yes, this and that, but, like, just overall keeping the ground, you know, keeping the keeping the deer off of their feet, like, keeping it fresh in that area, it's a great time to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed.
0: So, late season scouting, um, how much stock do you put in rubs?
1: Um, I mean, I think if you're if you can find a spot where there's a lot of rubs and scrapes it just tells you something about like for instance we saw a lot of rubs and scrapes in one area today and there was a trail leading to it and we were talking about well you know this trail isn't rubbed all up and down along the side of the trail but once you get to where the trail's going it's really rubbed up there um So I think like paying attention to those things, like, you know, a rub line is one thing, but if it's just, you know, I I think that path we found is, I think it's a travel corridor. I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're meandering. I think they're, once they're on that path, they're using that to switch from one side of the property to the other. And it's pretty dedicated, consistent travel, which, you know, falls in line with what we were talking about. Like when they're traveling along a Creek, they'll use a Creek or something, like you said, some sort of water source to make a big switch. And that water source cuts all the way through the property, so you know, that we, you know, in one corner of the property you have a bunch of rubs and scrapes. On the other side of the property, you found found more rubs or scrapes, and then there's this just this blatantly obvious deer highway tucked up next to the water source that you know basically connects the two. So I think you know it's kind of kind of important to pay attention to where um, you know. I guess something I'm interested to kind of piece together and figure out is. You know, I would say last year when we found all those rubs and scrapes, we found them in the bedroom of the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit buck. Um, And that ultimately kind of helped us figure out where he was living. Um, A lot of the rubs and scrapes that I have on my personal property uh, this year, I know for a fact um, that there's just not a a bunch of bucks bedding there. They come and they check, um, they check these doe bedding areas and my property is bordered by a lot of ag. But there's, you know, multiple locations on my property where there's just massive rubs and scrapes consistently in that spot every year, but the bucks aren't living right there. So I wouldn't consider that a bedroom, but I think they're probably bedding close. Um, so I think, you know, it tells you something like you, you finding signs, is one thing, but like reading the sign is a different thing. So, you know, I, I guess I'm big on, you know, doing the, doing the, the walking of the property, do the scouting and then like quickly compile all that data so that you can kind of look at it and figure out what it actually is telling you. And that's part of our podcast is because it's so fresh in our heads from just walking in, we want to get it out of our heads and, you know, document it so that we can ultimately reflect on it and figure out how we're going to tailor our approach, um, next year with, you know, whether it be stand location or, you know, food plots or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think rubs tell you a lot about, can, can potentially tell you a lot about where bucks are living. Um, and where bucks are living is important, especially if you're trying to, you know, kill one earlier in the season when they're still on their summer pattern. But as you get later in okay. the season, and into the rut, you know, you become more, more cared. You care more about where the does are living uh, because the bucks are going to come find them. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. I, I really enjoy, um, sometimes it's ambiguous, but like finding scrapes, um, rubs tell you a lot. Um, sometimes they, they don't tell you a lot. Sometimes it's just random. I, I mean, that's definitely, definitely the case. I, I don't know. You think that's, you think that's a incorrect statement? If I say sometimes rubs are random?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, we found a couple today that they that they're either incredibly random or that chunk of the property just is very different during the rest of the year because it's so flooded right now that, you know, the sign that we found back there would say that the deer walked through, you know, two feet of water to go make a rub on a tree in the middle of the water. So I don't know that that's the case. Um, I have a feeling that's probably drier through the bulk of the season. Those could be some early season uh, rubs and maybe they were traveling a lot through there before it flooded off. We have gotten some rain and snow, so that could be the case. But, but yeah, I think, you know, sometimes they can kind of be ru- um, random. Especially if you have like a rut buck so to speak that moves into the area and he's just trying to you know assert his dominance or make his uh, his presence known, I guess that could be a little bit random with where they choose to put rubs and scrapes but um you know the other side of that coin is you've got plenty of social scrape sites where those and bucks will come and 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 check that that scrape and it's kind of a an intersection of all deer traffic,
0: yeah. I I would say, I, I would personally say that I've, I've actually viewed, um, bucks making scrapes. I'm sorry. I have actually viewed personally bucks making rubs on trees that appear to be random. Um, this year I was hunting right on the CRP overlooking some cedars, some, some young cedar trees and a, a six-point and a four-point we're kind of chasing around some does. The does go out in the ag field. The bucks stay behind. And uh, this six-point came right in front of me, absolutely raked. I mean, just completely raked a cedar tree like he was just like that. I mean, he was very angry at that cedar tree. I mean, just raked it. And then he mm-hmm. turned around, and he went the other way. And it was a very random spot. And I feel like he was in a state of mind where he was, it almost looked like he was upset that he didn't get to breed the doe. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I mean, I just putting it together in the body language, like the does kind of ran off. He, he didn't really want to go that way. So he kind of turned around, but he, before he turned around, he saw this tree and he just gave it hell. And that specific location, like, I, I don't know when you, I remember went went down later and actually saw that, that rub and looked at it. And I mean, it looked like a really good rub. It looked like, you know, you'd imagine when you'd see it, like a big buck had made it, but I'd seen the buck that made it. And I went down and then kind of checked it out and it, it didn't quite match with what my mind would probably tell me it was. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that's an example of a random scrape, but I was just kind of getting to the discussion of like comparing a post rut scouting mission like rubs versus scrapes and which one means what and why. Um, I, I would personally say that if you can identify a, a scrape, like a social scrape, doesn't matter what time of year, but specifically post real close to the post season, December, um, January, like that to me is a very valuable tool. Mm-hmm. Um, tends to be in my property and the properties that I've hunted a natural like crossing point um, almost like a, a, a secluded transition whether it be one field to the next or a corner of a field or a um, a staging area but like these these scrapes like they're they're not just random you know what I mean like especially if it's if it's a scrape that bucks and does are hitting yeah. Um that is that is like gold to me. I, I I can identify that and use that I feel like to a more dangerous hunting extent than I could a rub. Um mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about that, but I just kinda wanted to compare those for the listeners, like what we personally think about a rub versus scrape while postseason scouting.
1: Yeah, I think uh generally for me, uh scrape's a little bit more indicative of some predictable travel like them coming to check that scrape versus i think i see rubs being a little bit more uh random so to speak yeah i mean you know the like you said they'll they'll use uh they'll use social scrapes you know year-round and licking branches year-round at at you know intersections of of travel um you know a rub like you said, becomes a little bit more of like a a display of aggression or, you know, them displaying their dominance. And that can be that can be a little bit more uh, random in location because, of, you know, it's probably a little bit more dictated based on the hot dough that they're after. You know, wherever that hot dough goes, they may be making a rub wherever she goes, just trying to, you know, get her attention and assert dominance in that area. But scrapes for me, like you said, are a little bit more – I guess I put more stock in those to tell me something about the deer, you know, the consistency of the deer behavior in that area.
0: Yeah. The tail end of this podcast is there anything that you you specifically want to mention that um, when we walk your property? I guess that, that's probably the next step for you and me is we did we did a walk out here, we did postseason scouting out here. Is there anything I guess that you want to change or specifically look at when we walk your property?
1: Uh, yes, I, um, there's a big chunk of the property that I just bought that because I bought it so late in the year, my approach was, um, instead of figuring out how to hunt this location, I do believe there's deer in there. I do believe deer are bedding in there. So instead of trying to figure out how to hunt it as close to the season, I'm just going to stay the hell out of there and try to hunt escape routes out of that area, um, and just with moving some cameras around postseason here, I think I'm, um, you know, I'm already seeing trends that are different than what I thought in terms of how they were entering and exiting that that section of the property. So, um, so you said one. Actually... You said
0: one really important thing. Um, you said you're moving around trail cameras.
1: Yes. So late season, um, I'm moving around cameras and trying to put them on trails and in locations that I think are a little bit more consistent for travel, uh, based on deer going to food. Um, that's because, you know, obviously with, for instance, if I have a camera on what I would consider a buffer strip or a staging area on the, on the downwind side of a, a thicket during November and late October, I may get bucks cruising through there all the time looking for does. But once the rut's out, um, you know, bucks may not have the, as they just don't have as much incentive to go frequent those cameras. And so I'm trying to move cameras, um, you know, I guess to pinch points where travel sort of has to be pushed through these areas to get to to feeding sources or food sources, Mm -hmm. um, so that I can try to see some of these bucks a little more consistently, start to get a little intel on, you know, when and if they start dropping antlers on my property. you know, again, like when, when you have a camera that's been hot for the bulk of the season and then for two or three weeks, it just goes blank and that, that tells you something about the deer behavior and I guess the breeding cycle. And for me, that, that warranted moving around some cameras. So I've moved around some cameras and, you know, sure enough, have been getting consistent deer pictures. So yeah, that just goes into, you know, documenting the deer behavior and when I can kind of predict that I'm going to see bucks where but, um, this newer location that I moved this camera to has kind of helped me understand that deer are using this area that I chose to stay out of and they're using it a lot, but they're using it in a different way than I, you know, that I was trying to hunt. Like I was hunting the opposite edge and corner of it. And I think, you know, I guess my reason being is because the edge and the side that they're working consistently is relatively close to some houses and a barn. And I just wouldn't have thought that they'd be traveling there that consistently, but it's also the driest part of that, um, that chunk of the property. So I guess, in that aspect, it might make, make sense. So one of the things I'm thinking about trying to do in the postseason is the outskirts of that, I guess, Northern edge of the thicket, trying to thicken that up with cover, whether that be, you know, sorghum or maybe I'll plant some corn. I don't know, but I'm just trying to put in some additional cover to block the um the view of the houses and, and you know the houses impact on the deer's behavior because if they're already using that area consistently especially late season like you said that you know they're deeming that area is relatively safe but a lot of it's you know just after um just after dark travel so by putting some additional cover in there i'm thinking maybe i might be able to um you know catch some bucks coming in and out of there right before daylight or right after daylight uh, in the morning and right before dark in the evening. And, um, and, you know, it, it would give me the opportunity to hunt a spot that I currently, you know, that the wind that would be good for this new spot. I don't have any spot on my property that can hunt on that wind. So it gives me another, another hunting opportunity for a wind that I previously would just choose to not hunt.
0: You know, there's nothing better, and I think this will be my concluding thought because i got to go pick up my uh, fiancé from work because I forgot about her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, as, like, my concluding thought, you know, there is nothing more... I don't know. I really enjoyed today, man. I, I guess that's what I want to try to say there is, like, walking around on a piece of property with your buddy, um, you know, with your dad, your brother, whoever it may be for you, um, somebody who cares about deer hunting. Um, if you're a hardcore whitetail enthusiast, like Devin and I here, like going after a years of hunting after the season's over and kind of looking and seeing some things that you might've overlooked, making adjustments for the for the next year, like that is what it is like all about for us. I mean, there's nothing that is more satisfying than, than like seeing these things through like, Oh God, there needs to be a food plot right there Mm -hmm. going and making that adjustment in the off season, going to the next hunting season in 2022 and seeing how that adjustment that we made an assumption on based on the walk that we did today. Like there's nothing that is more gratifying, especially when those, those situations work out for you. We got a deer on the ground and like, wow, we, we, we made that success for ourselves. We, we generated that. And like that to me, like it's the continual evolution of a hunter is that you're never done learning. Deer are always going to be, you know, doing things that you're not expecting and you, how you can adjust to that and to the next year and make your plan and your, your, your overall approach to your hunt, it just, it makes it so, so awesome. And that's like, just hearing you talk about your property, I can't even wait to get out there and walk with you. I mean, so I can't
1: wait either, man. I'm excited. Um, you know, this is a separate podcast and we've already touched on it a little bit, but I guess one of my concluding thoughts too is, you know, you look at all of this post-season data and you tell yourself, okay, for me, all of this data is correlated with a corn year. So I'm going to document all this with the understanding that the surrounding 400 acres around me was all corn.
0: It's a great point. Yeah. Then
1: then I'm going to, then I'm going to do the same thing next year and that's going to be post bean year. And then I'm going to figure, I'm going to overlay those two, you know, pieces of of data or, or, you know, I'm going to listen to when we walked the property last year and when we walked the property this year and what, what did I see that was different from a corn year to a bean year. And that, that again helps you tailor your approach to be, um, you know, more
0: lethal in the fall. Yeah. that That's a great point, man. I mean, we talk crop rotation is so crazy. So yeah, a hundred percent, man. Um, no, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. I think we talked about a lot of the different different good things on just post-season all altogether. but you know, big takeaways is like the, the sign's fresh. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try and something we didn't talk about, but I'm going to mention real quick is, I'm going to try and go out and make some of these stand adjustments now. You know, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who takes them all out of the, out of the woods. Like they're out there and they're going to be there. So, um, trim those trees now, um, hang the stands now. Like that's, that's the way I personally look at it. So, um, get it done now, get it done. Why not? You got time and you got, got the hands to do it. So, all right, Dev, yes, anything sir. else, anything you want to say?
1: No, I think another podcast we'll do soon. Though we'll start talking about habitat improvement because I think you and I are both um, kind of gone down the rabbit hole of hinge cutting recently. So that's something we'll be doing in the spring. So maybe we'll do another podcast on that here coming up.
0: I love that. We've been. I think we've both been wanting to do a <laughs> a podcast on uh, some some ground renovation for sure. Food plotting, hinge yep. cutting, all that. So absolutely. Alrighty. Thanks for listening along, everybody. And we will see you on the next one. See ya.